Father, this morning we come to you for the ministry of the word. It's your word and your word has life. It has power to work in those who believe. Therefore, Father, I pray you will speak through me and I pray faith will be there in every one of our hearts. Every one of our hearts, help us to believe. Help us to believe. Then we know, Lord, the word will start working in us. The word will become light and shine in those dark areas of our mind, of our soul. Because your word is light. Speak, Father. Speak, Father, once again. Speak. Speak, Father. Help us to believe. Help us to receive. Help us to walk. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Once you are saved, and uh, you are saved, for those who are not saved in the church, we welcome you. But you can pick up lots of principles from the messages, even though you do not understand the kingdom. But if you are saved and you see and you have entered the kingdom, remember, it is like getting a green card. Once you get your green card, everything is directed towards that place you are going. Suddenly India is forgotten. Hmm? You start going to KFC and uh, most of them, them, even if they don't have a green card or in KFC, I don't mean that. I'm talking about the ones who don't go there once they get a green card start. Getting ready for another country, another nation, another life. In the house of God, the purpose of God's word is to prepare people for a kingdom and for a service and to be thrilled at the hour of his coming. Yesterday, if you were there, we saw there are different reactions when Jesus comes. One set of people are terrified. All the big shots of the world will be terrified and they are trying to hide their face by hiding in caves and asking rocks to fall upon them, hide their face from the one who is sitting on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. It's one set of people. Another set of people is Israel. They will mourn when they realize this is the one they pierced. They said, what did we do? How did we goof up so badly? This is the one we should have received. Instead, he is the one we crucified. Then another set of people will arise to contempt and eternal shame. They will be so ashamed. Then there is one set of people, scripture says, who will be bold and confident at his coming. The purpose of the ministry of the word within the church is to prepare a set of people who are bold and confident at his coming. Whether it is today, whether it is next week, whether it is 10 years from now, it doesn't matter to be bold and confident at his coming. Because that's the only clue we do not know when he is going to come. So first we look at a few scriptures. Titus 2.13 Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul in his epistle to Titus, young Titus and to all of us is telling, this is what we are looking for. That's our blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God, Jesus and Savior Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy, Paul will say about himself, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. You see, he's done very well. So, he's excited. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
If your love is appearing honestly from your heart, your love is appearing, you are looking forward to his appearing, it will do something to you. You will not stay still all your life. In Hebrews 6 verses 10 and 11, the writer of Hebrews says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we show, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence of to the full assurance of the hope until the end. Your hope should be real till the end. Don't run for a season and give up. For your blessed hope to be absolutely blessed at this appearing, he says, till the end, run the race. And Peter will say in Second Peter chapter 3, 13 and 14, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay, that's why Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you shall be filled. The problem is if we are not seeking righteousness, if we are not hungry for righteousness, how will we look forward to a house which is full of righteousness? We will be very uncomfortable there. We are not going to be very happy when this happens because in God's home, his kingdom, it is Righteousness manifested in everything. So he says, begin here. Start hungering and thirsting and seeking and finding. You will be fulfilled there. That's why Paul says, I hungered, thirsted, I am full here, but I am waiting for the crown of righteousness, the pinnacle of it. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent, looking forward to these things, the appearing of Jesus Christ, to be found by him, to be found by him, in peace, without spot and blameless. I'm not looking at it. If you want, you can check the afternoon session of yesterday. We looked at it towards the end. But remember, you need to keep on turning back to the kingdom if you are saved. Because when you go out, the world will pull you. If you are saved and not radical enough, now, it probably will never be radical for Christ later. Decisions are not taken when crisis happens. They just manifest depending upon your convictions of long time. When a crisis happens, you cannot run here and there. What should I do? You are prepared for it. Thing is, is this. Everyone sitting here, youngest to the oldest, everyone is building something. The question you and I need to ask is, how high do you want your building to be? How high? How strong? Please understand this in life. Every privilege you and I have, every asset we have in life also has a liability. Every liability has a corresponding asset. The higher the building goes, the deeper the foundation must be laid. The higher the tree grows, the deeper and wider the roots spread. So you have to make this choice straight in the beginning once you come to the Lord and start understanding. How high do you want to build? How deep do you want to go? So as adults, youth, parents, children, ask this question because we all live in the same world. Am I in the world for the king and the kingdom? Or I am, am I in the kingdom? For the world. You have to ask. Am I in the world for the king and the kingdom? Because everybody is sitting here. 
but you may not be sitting with the same mind. One set of people may be sitting in the mind saying, I am here for the king and the kingdom. I have come to learn of the king so that I can go into the world and stand for the king and his kingdom. Another set of people will come and say, you know what, the kingdom is very powerful. Its principles are very strong. I have come here to learn the principles of the kingdom so that I can go into the world and prosper. So you are in the kingdom for the world. Some are in the world for the kingdom. Okay, because the kingdom of God rules over everything. The first one, if you are here today or you are in the world for the king and the kingdom, it may cost you everything in this life, including your very life, and yet gain you everything in the other. In the second case, it could gain you everything in this life and maybe cost you everything in the next. So, each one can choose to live you know, your own reality. Like God sets it before you. I said before you, life and death, blessing and curses. Then he says, choose life. That's why Jesus is very radical. In his statements to people who try to follow him, he was very, very radical. Like yesterday I said, you come to Jesus Anywhere in the Gospels, he will ask you a question, what do you want? Lord, I am unclean, be clean. What do you want? My child is sick, oh, your child is well. Oh, my child is dying, okay, I will come with you. Lord, I am blind, take your sight. Oh, Lord, I am hungry, feed them. He will give you what you ask. But if you try to follow him, he will turn around and say, anyone who wants to follow me and be my disciple, if you love your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, even your own life more than me cannot be my disciple. Receiving something from Jesus and following Jesus are two different things. Don't confuse the both. Maybe God has answered a thousand prayers of yours and you got it all. That still doesn't mean you are following him or you are his disciple. Or you may be a disciple and he hasn't answered any prayer of yours, but that doesn't mean you are not a disciple. Don't confuse the kingdom. The kingdom has power. The kingdom has authority. Therefore, Jesus is very, very radical in his statements. In Luke 14, verses 28 to 30, he says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation, he is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. You want to be a disciple? You want to follow me? You want to be part of the kingdom and to be used by the king? He says, count your cost right in the building. Are you going to start and finish or are you going to leave halfway? And in verse 33 he says, so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus never ever lied to the people who followed him and he let them go. And I pray all the days I preach, I will never lie to you about discipleship. It may often cost you everything. But the rewards on the other side, eyes haven't seen, no ears heard. Nothing in this world compares to what God is preparing for those who have loved him and love him. Since most of you are young, young people today, I believe all are young, but some physically, some spiritually, let me give you three verses. First, I want to give you Lamentations 3 and verse 27. It's good for a man to bear the yoke 
in his youth. We touched a part of it that last year. It is good for a man to bear a yoke in your youth. Matthew 11.30 My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay. Keep this at the back of your mind. It's good for a man to bear a yoke in the days of his youth. My yoke is light and easy and my burden is light. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. What's the difference between a saved man and a lost man? What is common between a saved man and a lost man? All have burdens. Is any saved man here without a burden? No. Everybody has burdens whether you are saved or unsaved. What is different or should be different about the saved man is he has a yoke. Unlike the unsaved man. It is the yoke that makes the burden light. I'm talking about eternal, eternity, okay, yoke. If you take a hundred kilo stone and tie it to the legs of a horse, it will struggle to pull it. If you tie it to his stomach, it cannot pull it. But put a yoke on it and tie the stone to it, it will pull it. Why? The yoke is not your burden. The yoke actually makes the burden light. The yoke is not your enemy. A lot of people think the yoke is your enemy. The yoke is not your enemy. The yoke is your friend to make the burden light. Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy. Why do you feel your burdens are so heavy? Because we are not yoked to Jesus. Jesus says, if you are yoked to me, you will suddenly realize your burdens are light. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. The yoke will define purpose in life or will help the purpose in your life. Let me clarify something from last week. We looked at work in detail last week. So many people are looking for a job so that they can work. Am I right? So many people are looking for a job so that they can work. But the kingdom of God is not like that. In the kingdom of God, God teaches us right from the beginning how to learn to work so that later God can give us a job. We think both are the same. Work and job are not the same. We struggle in our jobs because we never learned to work when we were young. We have talents, but we don't have work ethics. God first teaches his own son and everybody else to learn to work and work hard. Then later in time he will give us a job and you will see it is easy to do. We on the other hand never learn to work hard and then through some resume got a job. And we talk about work pressure. There is no pressure in the work. God says it is light. You ask the apostles what work pressure they faced. 
They said we never were sure after today's message whether we would be alive or dead. That's called work pressure. And they never stopped preaching. For 30 years, Jesus learned to work. And at the age of 30, God gave him a job. Got the picture? For 30 years, God taught his own son to work and work hard. And then at the age of 30, he gave him a job for three and a half years. His 30 years life is described in three verses. In Hebrews 5 verses 7 to 9. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. All the days of his youth. It was very tough. Very, very tough. We won't even ever know, even in eternity, what he went through in the flesh. Will we ever know? Let let me pick anybody from here who have all grown up in the city. Pick you up, put you in a village where there is no running water, no restrooms or electricity and say, live there for 30 years. Do you know what your struggle will be like? Do you know what it would be for God to live in the flesh 2,000 years ago? Because there's no electricity, no power, no running water, nothing we know today that eases life. And never complain. We can't even fathom. If anybody could have succeeded by sheer talent and raw power, it was Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. God in flesh. But what we see hidden in scripture, he did not come to defy scripture, but he came to fulfill scripture. He had, I mean, talent wise, if he wanted to be talented and show his talent, he would have been a one man team for everything. Can you imagine Pastor Jesus Christ having a pastor's conference? First he comes and leads worship. Everybody is slain in the spirit. Then everybody rises. Then he Preaches. Everybody is convicted of repentance taking place. And he delivers everybody, takes them out and multiplies the food. Does he need anybody? What power? What talent? He used nothing. He learned to work hard as his father had taught him. 30 years of hard work. Whether you are young or old, you are not going to be happy. Unless you have a load to carry. We need purpose. We need a burden. Many of you are not, have no clue what your purpose is. Feel like that? Lord, I want to know your purpose. God says, first learn to work. Then one day I will tell you your purpose. Learn to work. God doesn't tell purpose in the beginning. God tells, teaches people to work. He may tell the parent. In the case of John the Baptist was told, in the case of Samson was told what the purpose of the child would be. But other than that, he never told anybody. He taught them how to work hard, then revealed purpose. Can you imagine Jesus sitting at home idling for 30 years? I know. I came, my father told me at the age of 30 I have to preach. So let me sit and read some books. 
I don't have to do anything for 30 years vacation. Because I know when my purpose begins. I know it very clearly. I have to preach at the age of 30. Can you imagine? Sitting at home doing nothing for 30 years. And then suddenly when you are 30 years old, his father says, Arise! Your purpose begins now. What is your purpose? Get up and go baptized. What does he say? Arise, go get. The problem is, when the father speaks to him, he has to walk 70 miles to get baptized. Do you think without that preparation, it is possible? Physical and mental. He has learned obedience. Remember, no, the previous one. He has learned obedience from what he suffered. Through the previous one, Hebrews 5. Yeah. Okay. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And verse 9 says, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. 30 years. At the 30th year, God says, get up. Go. He could have asked many questions to the father. Why should I get baptized? You know that I am blameless. I am spotless. I am righteous. I am holy. Two, even if you want me to get baptized, why can't it be at Nazareth? Why should it be at the banks of Jordan 70 miles away? First thing, Lord, you know that I've been doing nothing for 30 years. I cannot walk that distance. Did he say any of these things? So many things you could have said. 70 miles? And who's gonna, who's gonna baptize me? The high priest or that rookie? Who just started his ministry six months before me. You mean I need to go and get my cousin? Baptize me? He's just six months older than me. Did he ask any of these questions? Why didn't he ask these questions? Because he had learned obedience from the things he suffered. Let me ask this question. Like our brother Vijay's father is sitting over here. He's an older gentleman. Let me ask you a hypothetical question. Okay, The same thing that's happening to Jesus. Let us say brother and sister moves to Jamshedpur. Decided they are moving to Jamshedpur. They move to Jamshedpur and automatically which church they will go to? GTC? And who is their pastor? Younger than their own sons. Will you be able to handle it? And there is a switch. Suddenly, unless you have learned obedience to the point, it doesn't matter who is above me, I always know you are above me and I will always obey you. doesn't matter under whom you place me. John the Baptist, doesn't matter. My cousin, doesn't matter. Doesn't even have half my anointing, doesn't matter. You said go get baptized for him. Here I am, baptize me. He learned obedience from the things that he suffered. So many things you need to realize are hidden about Jesus, revealed in a few verses. In Luke chapter 2 verses 51 and 52, scripture says, He went down with them and came to Nazareth. 
He would have preferred, Lord, this is our temple, Lord. I don't want to go to, from the temple. We are sitting in Jerusalem. Why do you want me to go down from Egypt to, sorry, Jerusalem to Nazareth? I want to be here. I love listening to all these questions and answering. Father said, go with your parents. You're only 12. You've got another 18 years to go before I call you to come back here. Get up and go. Not just go and be subject to them. Be subject to them. The son of God being subject to earthly parents. How do you know he was consistently subject to them? Because he increased in wisdom and stature and he had favor with God. If he is not subject, he has no favor with God. No favor with God. Because he was obedient at home where God had placed him. So many young people will not obey at home. They will not obey at school. They won't obey at office. And they are still waiting for purpose. How can God reveal purpose? He cannot. Because you need to be subject to God. And God, authorities God has placed over you. Let's get to serious things young people. Often people issue this. We never learn to work. We never learn to bear the yoke in the days of our youth. So learn to bear the yoke in the days of our youth, young people. So when the actual job comes, we really struggle. Really struggle. When the actual job comes, you will really, really struggle. I'm telling you. Talent won't keep you there for too long. Because many of your talents are technical. The problem is technology is changing. It's changing. You, you, you got a degree in one particular talent and by two years it's quantum leap and you now do not have the worth ethics to keep pace with it. Now you realize to reach here, I need to work hard. And you're struggling at your job because in the days of your youth, you never learned to bear a yoke and get that ethics of working hard. If through your circumstances, thank God, circumstances, you've been trained to work hard in anything you put your hand into, anything. When the job actually comes, you actually enjoy it. You enjoy working hard. You enjoyed your job because you enjoy working hard. We didn't find the work part of it tedious. Did we get exhausted physically? Yes. Jesus also got exhausted physically. But did he ever say, I am tired of this job? Did he say, ever tired of this job? No. Even on the cross, did he say, I am tired now of this work? No. Do you think if he did not have an incredible physical hard labor of 30 years, he would be able to carry the cross from the temple courts to Golgotha? With his back half broken. Physically strong man. The father was preparing him through hard, tedious labor as a carpenter. For a job he would have to do 30 years later. Can we handle that kind of pressure? If God calls you? We may get exhausted. But two hours of rest is enough to get back to work. If you have a system in your mind, in your character of working hard. Because when you are trained by it, by work, not job. At the job, your employer can give you on-job training. 
He cannot give you training on work that you bring with you. You have it or you don't have it. That is something that happens as you grow in your childhood. If you are trained by it, rest and work are not separate entities and they are not enemies. They are friends. We rest so that we may work more. No, you never saw it that way, right? You saw rest as escaping from work. No, you rest to work more. If anybody is planning on buying a hammock and sleeping in heaven, it's not going to be happening. It's going to be a lot of work and no tiredness. And you're going to enjoy work if you learn to enjoy work at on earth. Others will wonder, what did I get into? God says you can go to the other place where it's gnashing of teeth. That's also work. So we rest so that we can work more. The purpose of vacation is to get renewed so that we can get back to work and fulfill the purpose defined by God. Are you getting the picture? A lot of young people, older people, older generation automatically were brought up in work ethics. They had no choice. That's where the way the world was framed. So when they got their jobs, they worked. They didn't complain. They complained about colleagues and they complained about other problems. They hardly complained about the work because they always learned how to work at home. I got my first job when I was 23 or 24. Job, not work. But 12 to 24, I worked. From the age of 12 till 24, I worked before I got my first job. Yeah, no choice. At the age of 12, in class 6, was dropped from one end of the world and dropped to the other end of the world and said, fend for yourself. And I had to really fend for myself everything. But God was good. The year before I got my first job was a very struggling year because I was doing my MA. My father had retired, come back, a different generation altogether when men never entered the kitchen. All the days my father grew, he never entered the kitchen as a young man. It was not allowed. That is for the women. He never entered the kitchen and their needs were always met by the mothers and the sisters. So he retired. He comes back to India, to Kerala. My mother is still in Bhutan. He doesn't know how to light the gas or boil water. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And he has never eaten out. That's the way my mother brought him up. Never. Never. Only times you ate outside was in the train when you were traveling. Think about a situation. Where did this old, not old man, older man, my father, retired, sitting in my uncle's house. My mother is 3,000 miles away. My college is 80 miles away. What do I do with my father? Leave him like that and say, fend for yourself? And this house of my uncle, who is abroad, has basic things, bed, one pressure cooker if I am right, no mixing, Gas, yes, few utensils, and my father. <laughs> and my home is a little inside, but right outside my bus, outside my house, one bus passes in the morning at 7.25, remember, 7.25 goes to Tivandrum, where I study my college. Seven, it's 7.30, bus is gone. 
7.25 means you'll reach Divine Room at 9.30. College begins at 10. College finishes at 4. 4.30 is the return bus. And my father doesn't eat normally like normal young people today. He's pure malu. The only things in the house are these utensils and our old mothers will understand that stone and that thing. Every day evening, I would soak the rice and pound the rice and sieve the rice and fry the rice to make his breakfast. I'm back at 7.30 in the evening. I buy the fish, I clean the fish and I make the fish in that mud pot for him because I know he will not eat anything else. I scrape the coconut, I make his avil and his thoran and I make his sambar and make his chapatis for dinner. I make his breakfast at 6 in the morning, cook his lunch, go to college, come back in the evening and see he's taken care of until he could make other arrangements. Every day. Except Sunday. Every day for him. How could I leave him? He's been spoiled silly by my mother. You know, a year and a half later, my mother is back in town. She's taking care of him and I get my first job right back 3,000 miles away all alone. Now, my day begins at 5 in the school and finishes at 5.30 in the evening. I cook for myself. I do everything for myself. I'm ready for life. If you bear a yoke in the days of your youth, when your job comes, you won't struggle. Now where we do? Now it is all dialing. Pizza coming. No? 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 Burger coming or bunty coming, then hospital admission, nothing. My father in 64 years went to hospital twice, once for a back pain and second time to die. That's all. Never, never went to hospital. That's the care my mother gave him. Never went to hospital, never sick. If he had a fever, it was an event in the house. Dad has got fever and is growing a beard. Five days he won't shave because he has a fever. Where are those days? Are you getting? And you know, I get my first job at 24. There's a crisis in the school. Teachers are less. And the first thing I tell the principal is this. I will take six hours in a stretch if you give me. He said, are you real? I said, I am real. Only one condition. I got to the habit of sleeping in the afternoon. Let me go sleep for one hour. He said, deal done, James. You know what? Still today I sleep in the afternoon. So if you call me at 2.30, that's the reason why I don't pick your calls. Because even my principal allowed me in an institution to sleep in the afternoon. So you should allow me to sleep. I knew how to work. Work hard. I had no clue of my job. I was called to teach. All my life, I was petrified of speaking in public. Petrified. I had the most strange childhood. Born in a Malu family, grew up in a Malu family in Bhutan. Parents speak Malayalam at home. You hear English in the classroom. Parents are posted all the time. I learned to speak Nepali and now I am in a town where they speak Zonka. 
Malayalam, English, Nepali, Zongkha. I cannot speak Zongkha. I understand Zongkha. I communicate to my friends in Nepali. My father speaks to me in Malayalam at home. The teachers speak to me in English. In short, I grew up with no language. Jack of all trades, master of none. Absolutely. I was terrible in speaking. I couldn't speak Malayalam properly. I was terrible in speaking. I could read, write English well. I couldn't speak English at all. I was terrible. I was terrible in Malayalam. I was good in speaking in Nepali. I couldn't read, write Nepali. Then at class 6, my father drops me in Kerala. They thought I was a tribal from the mountains. You have no clue what I went through in my youth. They said, where did you come from? Where do you speak Malayalam like this? And nobody speaks English in the school. I also don't know broken English. You have no clue. My brothers, elder brothers who were all in the city actually told me, do not speak in our presence. You embarrass us. That's the truth. It was a tough life which you have no clue to be one in this crowd and you are different. I know what Daniel felt like. And it was not about food, it was about language. It was, you know. And you have Hindi, you have Malayalam. And I failed for the first time in my life. Only exam I failed in Malayalam, I failed. Because you come in class 6 and start learning Malayalam, it just started in class 1. You know what? I failed. I didn't know what to do. And the class teacher happens to be the Malayalam teacher. And he looked at my progress report and he looked and he said, he looked at me and he looked and he said, is this yours? I said, yes. You only failed in Malayalam? I said, yes. He said, let me change it. It doesn't look good on me. He said, and he passed me in Malayalam. (laughs) Mercy. That's called mercy. It's not justice. It's called mercy. So you imagine this young man, the only time I spoke in public was for a college election where I was a candidate and the student said, you have to speak if we have to vote for you. I don't know what I spoke. I muttered, I stumbled, but I won. (laughs) Now at the age of 24, I'm standing before a class like this. Most of the students are older than me. They're all sitting there and staring. Bakra Agaya. I've never spoken. You have no clue. It was like butterflies in your stomach. Okay. Only thing is, you knew God a little. And I said, Lord, I need help. I need help. I will tell you, I know when the breakthrough came. The breakthrough came. In the first month in an afternoon in the senior most class, the senior most class, in the first hour of the afternoon, the big boys had a habit of sleeping. And you couldn't wake them up because you wake them up, they will look at you, glare at you because they, <laughs> because they knew you were young and you were a rookie. That day God broke through and I was teaching Shakespeare. Broke through. I knew that's the day it broke through. I think, now I look back, I think it was the anointing. It flowed. And they all woke up and they looked at me. Is it you who's teaching? From that day, I've never looked back. If you learn to work hard in the days of your youth, when the job comes, you can be sure God will be with you. Whatever situation he puts you, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be talented. We are not talented people. We are average people in the hands of an awesome God. Awesome God. I'm telling you, if you're looking at an average man, this is one talent. That one talent also came later. 
When I grew up till 24, it was a no talent man. You can do. One thing I thank God for the circumstance of my life, it was hard. It was hard. Doesn't, I'm not saying we were poor. I'm saying it was hard. Because that was the way of life for everybody. So in the days of your youth, learn to work hard. Work hard. Get that work ethics. Work won't tire me. Work won't kill me. I don't mind working 8 hours, 9 hours, 12 hours. I don't mind. Because when the day your job comes, he will give you the talent and the wisdom. Because you have learned how to work. If Jesus could work hard as a carpenter for 12 hours, 13 hours and do an excellent job as a carpenter, you can be sure when he starts preaching, the father will turn up and say, son, go ahead, do it. I was watching you all these years. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. How can he fail as a preacher? He cannot fail as a preacher. You cannot fail at your job if you are a good worker. You cannot. You cannot. Talent will come. We have this incredible advantage over the world. God is with us. God is for us. And God says you can do all things through me. Who in the world can say that? They cannot say that. We can. We can. And he will turn. You know what? Today it's a whole story together. Today I preach in four languages. A man who had no language. Check with the Nepali crowd. They said, how do you speak like this? You are better than us. 25 years after leaving Bhutan, I go back as a believer, as a missionary, and I go to this church outside the border of Bhutan, and I see this man, that pastor. You know what? I had, a couple of months back, I had come here to Oyam. I had come for Oyam. It was Maurice Lillo's meeting, and there's some preparation meeting going on. I had gone there to buy a book with Pastor Walson. We both were standing outside. I saw this tall man standing. He looked at me like this and said, are you Mr. James' son? I said, yes. They say, I look like my father. Exactly. I said, yes. He said, what are you doing here? I said, I came to pick a book. And he said, you are a believer? I said, yes. Pentecost? I said, yes. What do you do? I said, I'm a pastor in Assam. He just put his arms around and he lifted me up and said, Hallelujah. He said, I know your father and mother. For 25 years I've been praying for them and their family. Lord, touch one. Touch one from that family. And you are telling me you are a pastor? I said, yes. He said, here is my number. If you ever come there, come to my church. Now I am standing in the church and God says, speak. And I preached in Nepali after 25 years for the first time. The language just came. I have to enter into Bhutan. I cannot go in. They won't give a permit. And I said, the Lord has sent me. I need to go in there. I'm just trusting God to open a door for me. I finish preaching. I come outside. One man comes and says, brother, I am from Shillong. I am the um, head of the Central Water Commission. My office is in Bhutan. Just meet me tomorrow. I will issue the pass. You can go in. can go in. Do you believe? Do you believe in this awesome God? He'll open doors, open doors. But this part is what I stress on young people. There is something God cannot give it to you when he calls you. That is that work ethics that you need to have. That's what God prepares his children, parents to prepare children. That's why scripture says it is good for a young man to bear a yoke in the days of his youth. In the days of his youth. Bear the yoke of responsibility. 
You know what it means? It means, I am responsible for my life. Not your parents, after a point. Not your brother, not your sister, not your teacher. The teacher will teach and go, but you are responsible for your life. Take personal responsibility for your life. Therefore, if you are young parents and your children are small, above one year old, as they keep growing, give them more tasks, more chores in the home. So they will learn very early that you are responsible for your life. Pick up your clothes. Pick up your toys behind you. Pick up your books. People tell, oh, my children tear the books. I said, you have no clue how many books are there in my house. When I shifted from Assam to Hyderabad to Assam, I have 38 cartons of books. You ask my children, did they tear one book? They never did. Because they were told right in the beginning, this is something which you don't do. Crawling towards the book. Said, no book. Now to separate them from the books is different, difficult. You can. You can. I'm not saying we were perfect parents, but what we like, we protected. Teach your children early. Keep your room clean. Wash your own clothes. It's very simple. Everybody's got a machine. These are the buttons. Put it. Put the powder here. This thing, the buttons. That's the way you do. If you want to come home, I'll show you pictures of Noella sitting in the washing machine with her leg inside. That's what she did every time. Your job is to wash, wash, watch the water and the washing machine. You sit there. Because those were semi-automatic. When it finishes, you call me, I'll empty the, drain it out. You don't, but if you can wash by hand, it's an excellent, because if God sends you into a village, there will be no power to run your machine. Learn. To wash your own clothes, teach them to pick their own plates, put a stool for them that they will climb and wash their own plates. Because children like doing all these things when they are young and we don't encourage them so when they grow older they never want to do it. Because our Indian mothers are very good at doing everything for the children and say, boost below, but And they fool you by thinking they are studying. No. Slowly, slowly, Teach your children. And I'm telling you, do your own studies as far as possible without help. If you need help, ask. But you can actually. The only thing you need to study well is keep these ears open when the teacher is teaching. That's how all generate. They had no tuitions. They listened and came back and did their homework. I'm telling you, all the days of my life, I had tuition for one subject, Hindi, for two years. That is all. That's all we got. And there was no father or mother with booster, stick, study or perish. I'll tell you what my father told me. My father told me, he said, I can only afford to give you the best education possible, but I promise you, if you don't pass by merit and get admission, I will never stand before any priest or anybody for recommendation. You make your own way. I will give you the education. I will never stand and bow before another man says, please, meditatically admission. He says, no way. I won't do it. I've given you a foundation. Study well. And you go back, check in the family, all five of us. Never did dad have to bend his head. Everybody in merit all the way. Never. Even when I finally came from a final college at IFLU, when I did my PGDT entrance, I was the topper. And I had a scholarship for one year. Never had to bend your head. Never. Because you looked at them and you saw how they were working. You've been taught to work. Just do it. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't seek help if you're weak, but as far as possible. Both are scripture. Both are scripture. In Galatians 6, 2 scripture says, bear one another's burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. And the next verse, Galatians 6, 5, for each one shall bear his own load. When you are weak, when you are young, okay, bear their loads. But you should come to a point where others needn't bear your load. If you are going to have tuition in class 5 and class 10 and class 12, doesn't matter. Even if you get to IIT, somebody has to give you tuition there too. Because you are tuition oriented, not study oriented. No, there is a season after that should be able to bear his own load. And that's what we prepare a generation for so that when the time comes, God can use them. Another thing you need to realize in the kingdom, now that we are in the kingdom, always remember, we are not Cain, we are of Abel, we are of Seth, spiritually. I am my brother's keeper. You are what? Your brother's keeper. In Colossians 2, 14 to 17, you may say, how that's got to do with Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. What did he do? Everything in the old covenant connected with the law, observances of the law, he took it and abolished it. In the old covenant, if you knew, they had sacred days, Sabbaths, sacred festivals, sacred places. Everybody went to Jerusalem. Three times, four times, five times a year. Yeah, All these things were there. Places were sacred. Days were sacred. In the new covenant, Jesus says, in John 4 and verse 23, he says, he's telling. Because this lady and he is having a conversation. She said, you people say Jerusalem, but we say Jacob's well over. They're still talking about sacred places. And he says, the hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Even the temple was divided. That place is outside. This is outer courts. This is holy place. This is the most holy place. This is the court of the Gentiles. You cannot come here. We can go here. Only priests can go here. Only the selected priests can go here. Only the high priests can go here. Everything was connected with places and days. New covenant, everything was taken away. God says, you are my temple. In the new covenant kingdom, people, places are not sacred. Days are not sacred. People are sacred. You are your brother's keeper because your brother is sacred in the eyes of God. Therefore, bear the yoke in the days of your youth to have godly relationships because people and relationships are sacred in the eyes of God. Because you have, have the advantage of knowing or hearing about God very early in life. So much. All these things are available. Net and uploads and downloads and podcasts. You name it, it's all there. So you have an incredible advantage over the previous generation. And God says, don't take it lightly. Because to whom much is given, much is required. In this life, everything is temporary. Remember, the usual one day will become unusual. People you see today will be gone tomorrow. 
gone tomorrow. You know, when I look back, my father is gone. And I look back and I say, thank you, Lord, you gave me an opportunity to take care of him when he was old. And thank you, Lord, when he was dying for the last 12 days of his life, I was the only one beside him till the point of death you allowed me to minister to. I thank you, Lord. The people you think you see usual in your everyday life may be gone tomorrow. So just gone. So value that relationship, that people. It's a yoke when you are young people to take care. Take care of the older ones. You don't want to do it. You want to be with your young friends. No. I also wanted in my college days to be go and stay in the hostel and have fun. I had a hostel room. The room was locked. And hostel is fun. You have everything. Single rooms, food is good, have lots of games, everything. You go to college at that level. If you want to go to college at MA, who asks? Everything was there. It is a city, theaters were there, everything. And then I looked here, there is a father. There is a father. And I had to choose. Do I go there and have fun? Or do I stay here and go through this trouble and take care of him? One day he's gone. And when day he's gone, you look back, you know what? There is no guilt. There's no guilt. Oh, I wish. I wish. No, you don't wish. You don't wish. These little, little, little things. That's why we tell you, you. Many of you, your parents are unbelievers. But always love them, honor them. Don't obey them when it comes to things of God. Very important things of God. But never dishonor them. Never dishonor them. Because it will not go well with you. doesn't matter how strong you are in the faith. It won't work for you. Knowing knowledge of faith and walking in faith are two different things. Therefore, remember. I am my brother's keeper. And whatever I have to give my brother, I will give. Something. Something each one has. Jesus says, even if you keep a cup of water, Right? He said, then, who thinks about a cup of water? If somebody comes and says, can you give me a little water? You give a water and you forget it. God says, it's not forgotten in heaven because you did it in my name. Things which we forget is not forgotten in heaven. So remember, be careful. Be careful about these things and value relationships over everything else. You cannot have too many, but you must have a few. But consider all sacred. Why? Because we are his temple now. It is not days or it is not people, sorry, places, it is people. Second thing when you are young and growing up or old, but generally, be very careful about little things. Little things. Small things. I don't know whether I gave it, but Zachariah 4 and verse 10, if I am right. Is it there? It's not there, no. Zachariah 4 and verse 10. For who has despised the day of small things? Small things. We ignore small things. But young people don't ignore the small things in your life. You do not realize in the kingdom of God, in eternity, the difference between success and failure has often been small things. Very small things, not big things. Because everybody will do a big thing. Everybody will do a big thing. But people ignore the small things and don't realize ultimately it is the small things that will make you a success or a failure. You see through the Bible. It is a widow's little mite. Two coins. Jesus pointed out. It is six stones.
stone water pots that he used for his first miracle. It's a very small thing. How many hundreds of people must have gone in and gone out and never even looked at that pot. But when the time came in, he said, pick those six small things. I need it. Remember the five loaves and two fish. Other disciples also must have said, oh, there is no food, there is no food. Oh, that's not enough for anybody. And then one said, five loaves. Little thing, very little thing. Very little thing. Do you remember Shamgar's ox goad? Little thing. Or David's sling? Very little thing. Or Moses' road? Or Gideon's 300 empty jars? These are little things. The reason is everybody does big things. Very few do little things. But the big is in the little. One day, the little will become big. That we learned much later in science. The smallest thing we all learned is the atom until they broke it. When they realized the atom can be split, what do we have? Nuclear reactors running and we all sitting under the power. The smallest thing. Everybody ignored that little thing. Until they realized there is enormous power in that little thing. Remember Gideon? Oh, yeah, I'm a little man, I'm a little nothing, I'm nobody, so little I'm hiding. God says, you are the one picked. You are the one who's been picked. Do you remember David on the day he was chosen? He was doing a very little thing. The prophet is in town. And daddy has sent me to do a little thing. What is that? A sheep. You need to remember the father sent a servant to call David. So he could have kept David in the house and sent that servant to look after the sheep. But he didn't do that. It was a little thing. David could have been so upset about him saying, my father or the sheep can take care of itself. Let me go play with my friends. But when the servant came there, David was there at his post doing a very little thing. He was faithful and God said, this is your job. Be the next king of Israel. My question is, when the servant came, if David was not there, What would have happened? What if he was like all of us young men? I will go play with my friends. That's a big thing for a young man. To look after sheep when your father tells you it's a little thing. Daniel, remember? We read about Daniel, we talk about Daniel, we talk, everybody preaches about Daniel. But Daniel's history begins with a little thing. What is that? Please don't make me eat this. Today it's a different message altogether in the public. Give me that. That is what God has called you to name, claim and eat. But he said a very little thing. That's where it began. Daniel 1, 8 and 12 chapters, 10 kings later, he's still standing and listening about the end of the world. Where did it begin? A very little thing. And often we are not careful about little things as young people. Very little things we ignore. Little, little things we ignore. Don't ignore the little things in your life. You may regret it. You know what about Rebecca? Rebecca came in the evening and she put her, drew water. She had no clue. On the other side, one man has just gone on his face before God and prayed, Oh God of my master Abraham, I have come so far. I am outside Haran. This is my prayer. If I have found favor in your sight, let the first woman who comes to take water, be the girl that you have chosen for my master Isaac. Do you think you just come by chance or you come there because you have a habit of being the first? 
because you know evening time is when the shepherds bring the flock all the women in the town come i don't want to stand in line because i got other work to do i know my father has many servants that's not the point let me be first take the water go home and finish the rest of the work it is a daily habit in her which has become the part of her character now character is manifesting at the hour of her destiny and she comes there he sees her and the rest is history rebecca is chosen as isaac's wife those things don't happen by accident it's because she was faithful in a little thing god picked her up for a very big thing to be the wife of the hand picked man in the world very little thing we don't think these things are very little very very little very little things we ignore these little things nor these little things and then god will teach you a lesson up straightening your sheet out putting it all there is socks there shoes there why no when i get married my wife will put it all away that's what young men answer the problem is another generation of girls are rising up who don't know how to put their things away So when they both get married, they both need 60,000 each. Why? You have to hire a maid to do the top job. Then you have to do the washing job. The other do the cleaning job. One to do the mopping job. How many maids do you need? At least four or five. Why? Because we learn to do nothing. Isn't it true? I heard this new, new terms like top job and all after I came to. I've heard about top gun, but I heard about top job here. Can you imagine how these little, little things will make life so easy? but those little things we don't need you know my mother used to tell my father stop smoking stop smoking stop smoking stop smoking stop smoking you wouldn't stop one day you know what happened he was sitting in his office very interesting sitting in his office the window was shut and he was he, he was i think the window was on this is smoking and the director of the education walked in he saw him walking in and through the cigarette he threw it like that the cigarette went hit the window and fell right into his hands they are all gentlemen those days so the man no picked it up put it off and talked casually as if nothing had happened from that day till he retired my father never smoked <laughs> he knows how to discipline a disciplined man also in his indiscipline now you don't have to have accidents like that those little 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 things you know little things in life if we are careful when you are young it can become part of your character because if one does the little well then you will learn to do the big well when it comes if you cannot take care of your father's 100 sheep well i am waiting because one day i want to hand over the 12 tribes of israel into your hands i am watching you how you work so that i can pick you for a job one day Oh, you have no clue god is watching your work because he has a job plan for you one day you may say what am i doing here god says work learn discipline because the job that i have kept for you will demand all this one day you don't learn at the job you have to be trained for it through the process of life doesn't happen overnight in the kingdom children learn when you are young learn from our mistakes learn from the previous generations drawings that's why i tell young people you need to sit with the older generation and talk to them and hear their stories not only they are interesting and funny you will learn a lot of stuff 
because they have what you don't have. You may have what they don't have, knowledge, but they have experience. They got a lot of experience. We define people as little by the task they do. But the world has to look now to a man who did a little job like carpenter for their salvation. That's the problem. You define, oh, he's just a plumber. Oh, he's just a carpenter. And when Jesus preaches, says, isn't he the carpenter? But now the whole world has to look to the carpenter if they want salvation. Because they looked at him small because he was doing a little job. God has to look at people as little according to their jobs. Because no task is too little. Too little. Such a difficult thing even now to get into people. When I was teaching in those years and later when I went to Bhutan, I was teaching over there. I was telling the young people. I said, Young ones, do you realize something? When I need a haircut in Thimpu, all the barbers are Indians. There's not a single Bhutanese barber. I said, do you know how much it costs to cut hair in um, in Thimpu? Do you know how much that Indian makes a month? I said, that Indian makes more money than your district collector. And you don't want to be a barber. Because it's too beneath you. I said, if I were you, I would be a barber. And not write civil services. If money is your objective, he makes more than he, your boss does. No, because we have started associating tasks, jobs as little and big, because we never learn to work. And God sent his son, he said, be a carpenter for 30 years and a preacher for three, both little. Isn't it true? That's why when this church started in Abbots, we made teams and we made everybody sure that you came and Washed, cleaned the toilets, cleaned the room, swept, swapped. Everybody, all of us did it. All of us, pastor down to the youngest one, everybody did it. Washed, cleaned, everything, so that you would learn. No task is menial, two task is little, because it is ingrained in you. Because that's the way your God is. Our God is. You know, ten years back, no, yeah, around ten years, it's, no, six, seven years back, I lived in Mahadipatnam, and I had the biggest house apartment in Mahadipan. It was a mammoth apartment. The landlord was in Bahrain. He gave it to me because nobody would take it because it was too big. It was huge. Surrounded by this colony full of apartment. Things came to you naturally. You're living in the biggest apartment in the morning. In the morning I get up and I sweep the yard out. It comes to you automatically. That's how you grew up. You don't leave your yard dirty. So you swept you know what happened? From that day, all the watchmen were my friends. They realized, this man sweeps. We also sweep. And all were Muslims. Let me ask you. Oh, sweep GSS? I am now in class 10. When I was 6, it was okay. 10th st- class students don't sweep, Right? Do you find it difficult? Every time at Alwal I come in, first thing I go over there is pick the broom and start. And Sajid comes and says, Sab, Sab, Sab. I said, why? I will do it. If you want to do it, you would have done it before, right? Now you want to do it because you see me doing, your boss doing it. So you want to, I said, no need. I will sweep. I have learned to sweep from the day I was six or seven years old. We find all these things so difficult because we have an associate dignity with work. And God said, the first thing you learn is this. My son, when he comes, he won't be a king. He will be a carpenter. 
You have to get your mind right because you have no clue what God may call you to be. Oh, I will call you to be a prophet. He says, no, I'm going to call you to be a sweeper. Because there are 500 people in MCH who needs to get saved. Will you be? Oh, that's beneath me. Really? Really? The gospel is to the poor. They will accept. There's a revival going around the poor in the city. The Bais, the Ayas, the MCA sweepers are all coming to the Lord where the big ones are sitting in Banjara Hills before their TV. Not getting saved. But can you be sent to them? Oh no, we are all preparing for a career. Doesn't work that way, children, in the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. Be what God wants you to be. Look at all the illustrations of Jesus. It was very simple. He talked about flowers, he talked about farmers, he talked about oxen. Where did he pick it all from? From the simple life, right? Oh, he could have given them a cosmic image in his preaching about it. You know, you know, when I created Neptune and Jupiter, it was colliding like, hey, did he say any of those things? Imagine if we were to be in his shoes and we're preaching. How we would show off our knowledge. Let me explain to you. When Milky Way was created and it was barely nothing. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at this farmer. The farmer was going. What is he? He's just trying to communicate. He says, these are little people. I am as little as you. Let's talk. But the purpose is redemption. Not showing off. Have we understood the purpose of our work is the redemption of mankind? Whatever work we do, that is the purpose of our work, the job God has given. Like I said, Gideon was a very little man. The churches in Macedonia were very little and very poor. And that is the only church that is picked up in the Bible as the church in their poverty gave more than they could. And they were begging, please, please, can we give more? And Paul is stunned and God said, write it down as scripture. Those are little people who make the big kingdom of God happen. And we are always looking to the big people thinking they will make happen. God says no. The little widow, the poor widow, that raven, that donkey, that rooster, that shepherd, that Amos. These are the ones I want, not the big. So don't despise little things in your life. Take it very, very, very seriously. I remember a long time back reading about a Bible college where there was a set of 30 students. Every weekend they were sent to different churches to preach and Monday morning in the class they were supposed to give the report. And the man who was the preacher who became a great preacher and died later, he stood up first and said, Sir, the director was there, Sir, yes, this weekend I went to a little church. He said, sit down. Then he listened to everybody else and he said, You didn't even allow me to complete. Why did you ask me to sit down? He said, there are no little churches in the world. We serve a big God. Every church is big. It doesn't go by the size or the number. It goes by who has created them. Every task is big because it is a big God who has asked us to do those little things. Therefore, they are big. Because everybody is looking for a big job or a big breakthrough. God says, what about the little things? Do you value those little things in life? The yoke is spiritual. There is a yoke that is spiritual. Blessed is the young man who has learned to bear a yoke in the days of his youth. In 1 Timothy 4, 8, if I am right, bodily exercise profits a little. He says yes. Bodily exercise is good. Labor is good. Why? It will help you in this life. 
Godliness, spiritual exercise is good now and in the life to come. In the life to come. What about Daniel? In Daniel 6 and verse 3 when the king picks him up. Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Excellent spirit. Do we have spiritual discipline? This is how a man of God said about Daniel. In Daniel, the physical did not possess a spirit, but the spiritual possessed a body. I'll read to you it again. The physical did not possess a spirit. Instead, the spiritual possessed a body. The body was in the control of the spirit and not the other way. Spiritual disciplines are important. I thank God for the ones who mentored me when I just got saved. First things they did after I got saved. They were young people. First thing after getting saved the next day, knock on your door, come for Bible study. Every day, evening, Bible study, half an hour in college. Sunday, youth meeting for this man who sleeps in the afternoon. Every Sunday, there's no way you could escape. They were there, knocked on your door and said, James, come, Bible study. I went, you know what? I didn't like it a bit, but it became a discipline. Then I learned to like it. Now I love it. When the yoke comes, spiritual or other yoke comes, when that happens, nobody likes it. Don't stop. You need that discipline. This was a young man who was just set free from the prison of home and is in the big city. God had a sense of humor. First time in his life he is free from parental control and one month later he gets saved. Now he can't do the things he wanted to do all these 20 years. And you got a set of watchmen watching you with the Bible. All your age. James, are you coming? Okay, I'm coming. Five minutes, I will wait. You know this good excuse? Five minutes, you go, I am coming. They will say, I, I will wait. <laughs> you are looking from there. Has he gone? He has not gone. They knew me well. Oh, we wish we had mentors like that, right? Young ones. You know, all of them are in ministry today. I found out every one of them are in the ministry today. There are spiritual disciplines. Praying is discipline. Fasting is discipline. All these are disciplines. You know what? Don't worry about the Catholics. The priests, nuns and all. Let them pray to Mary. Let them pray to every saint. Let them do it all. Doesn't matter. Just witness to them. Once they get saved, they will pray like no man's business because they already have the discipline of prayer. We have the anointing. But when we pray for five minutes, we are gone. Because we never had the discipline of prayer. You don't worry about the Muslim. Just save him. Once he gets saved, nobody has tell him to pray. Six times a day, automatically he will pray because he's been disciplined to pray. The problem is we Christians, we grew up with no discipline and suddenly now you look, the kingdom is here, all these things are required. Lord, I'm trying to pray. When you try to pray, you feel I have to read my Bible. I'm reading my Bible. I need to cook. Oh, I need to cook. I need Confusion. Where does the confusion come? Because we have no discipline. That is why it is good to bear a yoke in the days of your youth. 
When Daniel was taken to Babylon, 17, 16-year-old boy, his first decision is spiritual. Do you see? When you go to a new town, is your first decision spiritual? I like all, all people. When they go, first thing they pastor, I'm going, would you search and find a church for me? Is your first decision spiritual? What is written about Daniel? The first thing written in the Bible about Daniel is his first decision is spiritual. What is that? I will not eat this. It's got something to do with my God. The way I was raised up. Do we have spiritual disciplines? You search out. When you go to a bookstore, all these are in the world. All these things are in the world. When you go to a bookstore, if you have been disciplined in the things of the spirit and you are an avid reader, do you go to the section which is connected with the religion and leave all the other sections? There's nothing wrong in going to a bookstore. But the question, have you been disciplined? If you're going to buy music, when you go to music, automatically because you have been disciplined only with Christian music, I'm talking about the young ones who are growing. If you have disciplined yourself with Christian music alone, and you're released to a city, you go to a music store, you first go see the Christian section, buy and you get out. And not like me who grew up in the other side with no mu- discipline for music, and it was secular music, then had to go through the ringer of tearing all your cassettes, pulling it all out, and burning it because you want under deliverance. You don't have to go through that. No discipline in my reading. Reading everything. Therefore, I had to get rid of everything. And focus on the kingdom alone. So now, it's been disciplined. You go to a bookstore. You find that, okay, it is this. And you are able to walk out. Because we are in the world, but we are not of it. You cannot escape these things. But everything in the world, God has created a parallel. There is Christian music, there is Christian movies, there is Christian book, there is Christian fellowship, there is Christian everything. Christian clothes too, if your eyes are open. But to pick and choose, you need to have discipline. Discipline. For everything, don't ever think the kingdom of God is dead. No, it is alive and well. You can make your choices if you discipline yourself now. And it will stand you in good stead like Daniel when you are thrown into Babylon. There is not a single witness. There is nobody to encourage you. There is nobody to pray for you. There is nobody to fellowship with you. Nobody to watch over you. You can still stand there all alone because you have been disciplined and the spirit is there with you. So the king says, you know what? This guy has got an excellent spirit. This is the best of the Babylonian world. The best of every nation has been brought over. They are being tested to enter the king's service. And the king said, you know what? This guy is the best. This guy is the best. Because it is spiritual first. Not soul or mind. Ultimately, we will learn in life that every decision actually is spiritual. Ultimately, every decision in life you make is not neutral. It is a spiritual decision, either for the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. So if you want purpose for your child in the world, teach him to make spiritual decisions first and you as a parent make spiritual decisions first. One of the most powerful events that impacted me when I got saved, the year 1984 when I got saved and vacation, I didn't go and they called me for a youth camp at Whaley, I can still remember Whaley Youth 
hostel i was in the youth camp and while i was in the youth camp there was this sister i can still remember her name bina chako she was teaching us in the morning and going in the afternoon some days teaching us in the afternoon going in the morning and i said where is uh, bina chichi going and they told me bina is doing her university exams final year but she made a commitment to the lord that she would teach at the youth meeting every day and then when the timetable came in it clashed are you getting it the youth meeting days and her university exams are on the same day so she told us i will write the exam and come straight back and teach till night and i looked and said wow is that possible because you have been brought up by your principal and a teacher academics 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 and you are seeing something stunning the year you got saved there is something bigger than academics 6 months later when i opened the newspaper her picture was there first rank kerala university you honor me god says i will honor you that's when i realized boy this kingdom of god all these people are talking about is real you don't pull them out you push them in parents remember never push the world make decisions which are carnal because you fear you are putting the world ahead of the kingdom you will rue it one day you stand there firm and said you don't want to come that's your point but i put the kingdom and the king first because we are not choosing a profession or a job for our children now we are just teaching them to work and work hard when the time comes god will pick a job for them god will pick a job for them god will pick he has in mind already what his children should do but we also have that's the problem there is a clash of two kingdoms one us and one him god's job for moses was to lead the people out of israel that was his job hand picked by god before the foundation of the world for 40 years if you read acts 722 moses thought his job was what to learn the wisdom of the egyptians and lead the egyptians he thought that was his job then for the next 40 years he thought my job is what to lead the sheep in my father in law's vineyard yard first job prince second job shepherd then at the age of 30 he realized all this was only training the real job has been picked by god go and get my people out you don't have to wait waste 80 years finding to know what your job is let god pick his real job instead what happens is even before our child is out of his huggy we have decided doctor okay doctor and we have bought grace anatomy from the second hand store and keeping it for him after 20 years that book will also change we don't even give god a sideways to enter into the child's life we already decided what you want him to be and not god and not god when god says even before the foundation of the world i have already decided what our children so what do you teach him teach him to keep his room clean and get him to work hard so that one day god can send him if he becomes a doctor to the mission field mission field can you go to the mission field today's mission field uh, requirements are different if you ask them can you go yes i can go and i want this 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 can you go i have told once before i have traveled by cycle by scooter jeep car truck bus 
tractor, bullock cart, once on the back of a buffalo, train, second class without reservation, sleeper, second AC, third AC, first AC, plane. The only thing left is spaceship. I've slept on a newspaper many times in the train, on a platform in the biting cold, not for a job, for this. You want to know what missions is? Can you go? Question is not, can you go? Can you be sent? Can you handle it? Can you handle it? Look at what God's men are made of. Ezekiel 4 verses 4 to 6. Lie also on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of the days you lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. For I have laid on you the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days. 390 days. And then after that, 40 days. Can you do this? Can you lie on your side for 390 days because God said you will know I need pain, mom. Ayyo, mom, my back is hurting. Can you? If we were told five days, we'll ask, is there a mattress also? Are you giving me pillows? And will somebody come to massage me after six days? Look at this man. It's discipline. You want God to ask us things. God says, I love you so much. I know know you cannot do it. That's why I don't ask you to do anything. You don't have it to do it. I know. 390 days on one side. 40 days turn around on the other side. I have understand what God has demanded of his servants in the past, even in the present. Question is, can he ask us? Spiritual discipline. It's all part of spiritual discipline. Does your body possess your spirit? Or does your spirit possess your body? That's what offer your bodies as a living sacrifice means. Do your spirit possess your mind and your emotions? Or does your mind and your emotions possess your spirit? Look at the same man. Next verse, 24. Also the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, behold I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Who is this? His wife. He says, tomorrow morning when you wake up, look to your side, your wife will be dead. And I am taking her. Yet you shall neither moan nor weep. Nor shall your tears run down. Sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your heads. Put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips. Do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So, I spoke to the people in the morning and at evening my wife died. Does your spirit possess your mind and your emotions? Or does your mind and emotions possess your spirit? He's telling the prophet, tomorrow your wife is going to die. And I'm going to use that as an example to Judah and Israel, what I'm going to do with them. You stand there, put your turban, put your shoes, stand there and preach. No mourning, no tears, no crying, nothing loud. Stand there. I know you can do it because your spirit is in control. Stand there, speak as if everything is normal. Come back, he comes back, wife is gone. Bodily exercise profits for some time. Spiritual exercise profits for all time. Do you understand what discipline is? I am not saying God will demand all this of us in one stroke, but I am saying you should be open to whatever He demands. Whatever He demands. Therefore read. 
Watch, hear, but choose what you will hear. Choose what you will read. Choose what you will watch. Because it will define ultimately what you will be. Deal with your fears. Deal with your fears. And one of the greatest fear of man is the fear of pain. More than pain itself. More than pain is the fear of pain. That's why you should allow your little children to go out and play and fall. And get hurt. I got all the scars in my body. It's all from the first 12 years. Once was kicked in football, had to be taken to the hospital. Head broken because a coconut fell on my head. Another time I fell on a roof and cut my leg. So pain didn't matter. The fear of pain is more than actual pain itself. Yo, surgery coming. Surgery, surgery. You're not worried about your sickness or anything. You're worried about surgery. Pastor, pray, pray, pray. Pastor, pray for a miracle. It's got nothing to do with the disease. The disease is very small. One little thing to be taken out, one cut, open, throw it, stretch it. No, surgery, surgery, surgery. They made it in an event because you're afraid of pain. Lord of people, oh, Lord, I want to serve you, but I don't want to die as a martyr. Pain. Fear of pain is more than the pain itself. That's why you young boy should really get knocked around a couple of times. And you realize it's no big thing. Your spirit has to be in control, right? Not your body. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego was, I was absolutely sure they also were afraid. They are being tied and taken to the fire. Right? At any step they could have said, okay, we will bow. They didn't. Who is not afraid of fire? But the spirit was in control. When the time came, they were taken into the fire. Oh, what happened later is a different story. The Lord intervened and he stopped it. But for the rest of the people in human history, his saints were thrown in the fire. He did not intervene. For these three he did. Don't make that into a testimony and say, in my case it will always happen that way. Scripture says no. Women received their dead back to life and some women did not and both were considered faithful. They also had the fear of pain. You think what Daniel had no fear when he was thrown into the lion's den when he was going, was he going you, how are they going to kill me in pieces or in one bite? Whatever? He also had. But he said, I am not going to stop praying. I can escape this lion's den. I can escape it. All I have to tell and reason. Okay, the king only said, don't pray for 30 days. 31st day, I will pray enough for 30 days. 3 into 33. 3 into 30 is how many? 90 times. I usually pray 3 times a day. 31st day, but Lord, I will pray 90 times. Deal. No, he said, no. I'm afraid. But I'm not going to back out. What I know is true. The problem is not pain. The problem is a fear of pain. Fear of pain. Why did Jacob run? 20 years running. Why? Yo, Esau is coming. Esau is coming. Esau is coming. Esau is somewhere else. But he's saying, if I go, Esau will come. If I come, Esau will come. He's living in fear of pain that this brick brick brother will smash him up. Probably his mother told him all the stories of Abel and Cain. Do you know what happened? Cain took a big stone and smashed his head. He's thinking, Esau stone, Esau stone, Esau stone. 20 years gone. Finally, Jesus said, you know what, I have to teach this fellow a lesson. You want my blessings? 
You want my blessing? If you don't let me go, I will not. Okay, I will bless you. But first thing, let me teach you two lessons. One, you lie to your father. Another lesson I have to teach you. He dislocated what? His thigh bone. Are you Lord? This is all the Esau can do to you. Nothing more. Now go. You are afraid of pain, right? You are afraid. This is what Esau will do. Instead, I will show you what it feels like. Feel it. Next thing you see, fellow is limping to Esau. Hi, brother. What happened? He realized the pain is not as bad as the fear of pain. This is our problem. We fear things more than the actual thing. Fear things, actual them. No. Don't fear. Don't fear. If you fear pain and you have no control over it, the the reason I'm saying is the devil will use all. He's been watching you. He's been studying you and me. And he knows where we have compromised. And he says, you know what? I know. Oh, Jyoti, you put this line over there, she will not cross. I have seen her enough. Oh, Peter. Peter, I know this line. Oh, Shrikar, a little more. Oh, but when it comes to Akshar, it is a little difficult. He knows where your threshold is. He knows. But if you are not afraid, though you have fear, that you fear your God more than you fear pain, no. God can intervene. I just remember, I think it was 12 years ago, that little giant sitting over there was a small four-year-old boy and he had this habit of coming in the afternoon, not habit, comes back at 11.30 from school and he has to be carried and I have to run down the corridor, turn and go to the living room and put him on his chair and put pogo for him. That was a daily habit. Only one day, the previous day, there was a puja in that turning corner. They put something over there. I am running with him and I slip. In a split second, God's mercy, I shifted him from my right hand to my left hand, went on my right hand and broke my forearm. Got up, took him, he didn't touch the floor, took him, put him on his seat, put Pogo and fainted. Collapsed, finished. Half an hour, I wake up, he's still sitting there and watching home. He has no clue what has happened. Then I called up and went to the hospital, got all done. But I was thinking later about another scenario. I am running down the corridor and I fell on the right hand side. I broke my forehand. He broke his head. I fainted on the floor. All the Hindus have gathered saying, Kya hua hai haan? Kya what has seen? Right? What has seen? What has seen we would make about little things, right? Do you believe God can intervene? doctor said, three three months or two months, he said, you have to have the cast. Ask those who were there those days, never cancelled one meeting, couldn't drive, went in the auto, took all the meetings, came back home, cast was taken, hand was like this, doctor said, it will take a week, two weeks, three weeks for your hand to do physiotherapy and all. You know, there was no need for physiotherapy. That day evening was watching God TV. One man of God looked at me from the screen, program recorded months back probably and said, there is a man who is watching me from India. His caste has just been removed. And the Lord says, straighten your hand. I straightened my hand. My hand was okay. And two days later I went to Bhutan and Assam carrying my bags and came back. Do you believe? 
one toe hurts i am on vacation i am on vacation like tom sawyer my sore toe has mortified god says lord why don't you use me i got is waiting for your toe to get better you have to hear excuses people make for not working no you have to believe god is for me who can be against me i really can do all things through christ jesus don't depend upon your strength it depends upon the god in whom you believe so are you ready for a mission trip you have to ask modern day missionaries are you going on a mission yes what is there oh this is my soft pillow and that oh that's my hot water bottle when i have stomach cramps okay and this oh that is my mosquito repellent okay and that oh this is my bislery you know i'm used to bislery and that is my tablet for high bp and this is for cholesterol where are you going hospital or mission <laughs> I want to ask them, did you ever read Mark 16-18? What does scripture say in Mark 16-18? You shall. They will take up surf and if they drink anything deadly, it will no means hurt you. You go to mission places, use Paul's literal instruction. Don't ask any questions, eat what is placed before you. Simple. You don't know what they give you, don't ask. You don't want to know. You go into some of these villages as if you have gone. By the time you have finished, fifteen houses. You don't know whether you are a chicken or a human because you got fifteen eggs inside you. And in the culture, you cannot say no because they think you have insulted them. You eat and you preach, and it's not even milk tea. It is lal chai, lal chai egg, lal chai egg. First house finished meeting. Five minutes prayed. By the time you are gone, it's something going in your stomach. <laughs> no bislery nothing you have to believe this it will not harm me it will not harm me no it will not harm me it will not harm me i'm putting all that i see and i feel below this you have given i have said this is scripture for missionaries this is mission scripture do you believe this is the problem Listen to Timothy. What Paul? Paul is a father telling his spiritual son Timothy, and he knows Timothy is a wuss. I'm telling you, if you read Timothy carefully and start to understand as a father, you know this man is trying to discipline this young man who is very indisciplined. So he's first very loving. How does he call him? First Timothy one two to Timothy, a true son in the faith. In Second Timothy two to Timothy, a beloved son. Okay, you have to say all these things too first before you can tell them the hard things. Okay. Then he tells him in Second Timothy four five, but you be watchful in all things, Timothy. Endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What will Timothy say? Timothy will say, "Bola, now my stomach hurts all the time. Now I want to go, but you know I cannot come with you. My stomach is hurting all the time." Paul is already upset because long time back one young man called Mark had left him because his stomach was also hurting. Now he is worried about this Timothy. I am trying to mentor some young man. Everybody comes with stomach problems. So what does he say? Tell Timothy, Timothy, 
don't drink water alone drink a little wine for your frequent now what happens this is connected with the mission this is connected with problems everybody takes this to drink wine i have no clue how many christians have quoted me pastor it is scripture paul told timothy to drink wine do you have a stomach problem are you in mission you have no clue what all you learn and hear in the mission field today i will tell you if paul was writing he will say if eric or vijay are telling me pastor we cannot drive a long way our stomach out it says pack up and go take a jalusal on the way jaijin or jalusal take one antacid and please go i won't say drink wine those days antacids were in there so wine was a medicine today people have made wine into a normal drink it is no longer medicine how we use scripture right in my weaknesses he shall be my strength but dear brother this is not weakness this is sickness and this is not a result of a messenger from the devil sent to buffet you because if you exceedingly great in knowledge this is because you were not disciplined when you were young this is the result of being a youth who ate like there was no tomorrow i'm talking about modern day drank soda did not even know what was the color of water no hindi mein bolta hai na thoda bhi soda nahi choda pani ye kya hota hai kaise hota hai pani if i care i would shower in soda too at half your life slept like kumbhakarna and now want to go to missions god is daring is here he is so insistent he wants to go on mission i don't know i am a father i don't know how i can send him because he will go to that village that is disciplined preach there and indiscipline them also by his life you did not bear a yoke in the days of your youth but like i said this is not to condemn but to exhort everything god wants you or me to do is big and great the thing is small because he is a great god the spirit is willing but the body and the mind should cooperate when the time comes don't repent in eternity when you see all the tasks that was kept for you but was done by others even to the best church in the book of revelation this is what god says behold i am coming quickly hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown don't let somebody take your crown because he did your job because you couldn't do it and to the worst church in the book of revelation also the same father what does he say the lethargic indiscipline as many as i love i rebuke and i chasten therefore be zealous and repent behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and dine with him and he with me and to him who overcomes i'll grant to sit with me on my throne as i also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne he who has ears let it's a father to the best church and to the worst church the father's heart is the same i want you to win i want you to win i want to crown you i want you seated beside me don't lose don't lose don't lose 
This is a father who put every child of his on the race and he says, run, run, run in such a way to finish and finish well. And as a spiritual father, I want you young guys to finish well, better than me. You can exceed me much, much better than me. Because what I know, at your age, at 21, 20, 21, 22, I knew nothing. Nothing. I needed supernatural intervention from God to see that my mind wasn't messed up. Supernatural intervention from God. Because there was nobody preaching, teaching, praying, fellowshipping, nobody. Footloose. I mean, I was the original footloose Christian. Saved, but doesn't know where he's going. But you guys are in a church. A strong church, word-wise. Fellowship. You have the best of the word. Every gadget possible, if you want to use it for your spiritual discipline, God says, make use of it. When the hour comes, I will give you a job. Just work. And work hard. Work hard. If you are a student, work hard as a student. If you are young, work hard after that. But work hard. Get it. I will not tire. I love working. Whatever it is. No task is little. No task is too big. All tasks are from my Father. Amen. Shall we stand? Father, this morning, I commit every brother, every sister, every child here, Lord. Everyone has that zeal, Lord, to finish that race. Some of them are struggling in their body. Some of them are struggling in their mind. But the most indolent, lazy church, Laodicean church, to them also you said, be zealous and repent. And you said, if we open our lives, you will come into us. We don't have to do this on our own, oh Lord. You will come into us and you will work it in us and through us, oh God. One day at a time, teach us to surrender. Teach us to surrender our bodies, our minds, and allow you to control, oh God. Listen, obey, listen, obey, listen, obey. Until, oh God, it becomes part of our being. Oh, there is a great task waiting for each one. The harvest is near. The laborers are few. And the kingdom is close, very close. And the king is waiting to come. Let the bride be prepared and be ready. For no one knows the hour of his coming. All we can do is be watchful, be prepared and be ready. For your word says when the master comes and finds his servants are dressed and the lamps are burning, he himself will come in and he himself will serve them. Oh Father, help us that when you come, you find us ready, prepared, waiting, serving. Whatever hour you come. I pray these young ones will take this message seriously. And learn to work hard. Work hard in life. And also know each one is their brother. Their sister's keeper. I just thank you Father. For all those who went before me. All those who invested in my life. Parents, the brothers, the friends. The pastors, the men of God, so many, Lord. 
even if it was one word it was not little in your sight because that one word changed a direction in my life i thank you for every one of them and i pray each one of us will be thankful for everyone who has invested in our spiritual and physical lives that we will also learn from scripture it is more blessed to give than to receive that we will all end up in the kingdom finally as net givers than takers for our god is a giver thank you father thank you as we go into another week i thank you for your grace your mercy through this week as we go into another week may your presence go with us and go before us keep each one lord close to you and touch those who are sick and infirm heal them lord protect us keep us thank you thank you thank you father for in jesus precious name we pray amen may the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each one of us amen amen